Okay, so where are we, what are we talking about, Jonathan Kerr? Oh, not, not Corinthians, that's what we're doing. So we're, we're pausing on Corinthians, and this week uh, we're going to look at um, a passage in the book of Acts from mainly in chapter 11, verses 19 to 30, so you can go there now. We're also going to jump into the first three verses of chapter 13 of the book of Acts, so we're going to be in two places, and that's where we're going to focus our attention as far as looking at God's Word this morning. But I want to preface what, uh, uh, what I'm about to say with this. I want to invite us this morning to consider this an opportunity to look not only at a church from the history, um, from our history as a, as, a, as a global community of believers, but I want us to look at the church in Antioch that's um, talked about here um, with the view that God is speaking to us about being this kind of a community here today 2,000 years later in Oklahoma City. And there's some things that I will touch on um, that I think will help us to connect with why that's significant and relevant. But I want to say this to us. As you read it, ask God to stir something in you. I, I felt like God has been speaking to me almost like this is, this is a mandate for us. This is like a, a blueprint and this is a picture of what I want you to take hold of as a church community here. So I'm praying and asking God that he'll do something in our hearts as we look at this together this morning. So before we read the passage, let's um, take a moment and pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for um, all that you're doing amongst us. Thank you for uh, hearing about what's happening in Albania and that Balkan region. Thank you for uh, the way you're stirring hearts, the way that you're connecting us. Jesus, we just pause and take a moment and say, you're doing great things in the earth. And we, this morning, just say again to you that we want to be a part of what you're doing. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would help us this morning. Come and meet us. Thank you that you know each one of us by name, and you know every circumstance, and you know what we need, even before we ask it. So Lord, as we look at your word, and as we think about your kingdom, and as we fix our attention there first, we trust you with everything else. Thank you that our lives are ordered out of that priority of seek first the kingdom of God, and the rest will follow. So come and have your way, Jesus, this morning. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so if you want to read with me, I'm uh, reading from the NIV translation. Uh, Acts chapter 11, 19 to 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among, only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught numbers, great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first to Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. 
one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And then into chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. 1 to 3. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Lord said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So here we find ourselves looking at a church that has been established and really has become a vibrant community um, as a result of being scattered out of Jerusalem. So the persecution that followed after Stephen was killed and martyred for his faith um, really was a catalytic moment in that it drove many of the disciples, many of the early believers, the church in Jerusalem to go to new places. And so we find that this, uh, this, this scattering actually was a really important moment because it not only um, provided opportunities for new people to hear about the Lord Jesus, but also it helped to actually establish a new epicenter for the Christian church in Antioch. And this was a significant shift from where it had been in Jerusalem. And there are some characteristics that I want us to take a moment to observe in chapter 11 about the type of church that, that was being established and um, was being developed here in this, in this community in Antioch. You know, What's easy to note from the very beginning of, the, of chapter 11, as the disciples, as they're, as they're scattered, um, these are people who knew that they had received good news and they wanted to share it. So the scattering sent them out, um, but their lives had been dramatically changed. And so when they suddenly found themselves in new places, they were, they were ready and willing to share the good news about Jesus. Now, some of the, in verses 19 to 20 here, you'll notice that Luke, the author, talks about um, Jews and Greeks. And so it's important to recognize, like, who are the people that they're being spoken to? Who are the people who believed and turned to God? Um, and some of, there's been some discussion among scholars as to the specific identity, but essentially, um, the, the question was whether are they Grecian Jews or Greek Gentiles? But what is clear is that the author Luke makes a distinction between Jews and Greeks in verse 19 and 20. And although the apostle Paul is credited as being the first person to intentionally reach out to the Gentiles, this is the first recorded example of Jewish Christians and Greeks coming together as one community. And as one commentary describes it, um, they put it in this way, and since, among the, and since among that great number were both Jews and Gentiles, the Antioch church, though born within the synagogue, took on decidedly different complexion from that of other earlier Christian congregations spoken of thus far. For it was a mixed body of Jews and uncircumcised Gentiles who met together for worship and fellowship in common allegiance to Jesus of Nazareth. So what has happened here is that the church in Jerusalem had kind of got excited about what Jesus had said to them and done, and they were telling people and communicating with the Jews in Jerusalem about the message of Jesus. But the persecution was actually the catalyst that resulted in the church beginning to fulfill the commission that Jesus had actually given to them. 
He had said to them, you know, go to all the nations. He said Judah and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But the reality was that they were stuck somewhat and had stayed home in Jerusalem in a place that was familiar. And it was the very act of God allowing the persecution to happen in Jerusalem that really propelled them out to begin to fulfill what God had actually called them to do, what Jesus had called them to do. You know, sometimes God will allow us to become uncomfortable in order for us to move in alignment with his purposes. I remember uh, just back in March, many of you would, be, would have been around and we had the privilege of hosting a conference here called uh, Commission the City and we, uh, we partnered with Youth with a Mission, YWAM, and they came and we had various people here and it was an amazing experience. But I have to let you into a little secret. I took a bit of persuading um, to agree to do it. Uh, so uh, we, we were, Becky Hartman and I were having conversations and this opportunity had come up to do this, uh, this thing called Commission the City, which if you weren't here is essentially this gathering together believers um, so that God would stir our hearts with mission to reach our city. And I was thinking this is kind of, you know, early part, it's the end of 2018 and I'm thinking, there's lots on our plate. We've got Alpha launching in the spring. We're figuring out things with our groups and trying to work out where we go next. We're, Brock and Brad and I are talking about vision for the church. We just come back from a visit to uh, Evanston Vineyard and we're stirring with all these things. And then Becky pops up with this, hey, we need to do this commission the city thing and it'll be amazing and we'll have thousands of people here. And I'm like, uh, I don't have time for that, really. Inside, I was like feeling all of that. And outside, I was like, sounds like a great idea, Becky. Um, <laughs> But it was making me decidedly uncomfortable. I'm actually, I don't know if she knows all of this, so Becky, here you go. This is, uh, she, she has a good idea, I think. Anyway, and as, uh, as we began to talk, I could see that there was something that God was stirring. And, and even though it made me really uncomfortable because I thought, this is gonna stretch me, I don't know how I'm gonna have the capacity, I could see that God was in it, and there was a vision and drive in Becky um, to help us move into this place to host it. And it was amazing. We had a, a thousand people in this room worshiping Jesus together across many believers across the city. People came in from other places outside of the town, outside of the state. And it was just phenomenal to see um, what God was doing and how he was stirring hearts, um, not just for worship of him, but to see an impact. And you know, the fruit has been amazing. We had uh, one group of high school students who um, were part of something called How To Life. And they really actually came alongside us and helped us to host the conference. But since that event, and over the last six, six months or so, they're now at a point where they're gonna launch two more how-to life groups. And these groups are specifically set up to work out how do we live passionately for Jesus and how do we make an impact in our schools. We also were introduced to this idea um, of something called a love feast, where one of the breakout sessions that we hosted talked about this idea of gathering people in your community um, particularly people perhaps who would appreciate having a meal and doing things just in the community, inviting people to come, having food, building relationships and loving in, the, loving in those places. And we've seen, uh, I've, we've, there's a number of those that have started to spring up in, in the city and some of you may have been aware recently that there was a, a, one of the uh, several churches gathered at the Myriad Gardens downtown and hosted a meal where they had me, uh, food and live music and they basically said, whether you have a home or whether you don't have a home, let's come together, let's eat, let's enjoy music. And there was just that, um, expression of something that was stirred up at the conference being manifested in our city. 
You know, when I think about some of those things, the question that rises in my heart is, um, if God sometimes is wanting to make us uncomfortable so we move to align with him, what is it for you right now this morning? Where are you feeling uncomfortable? Is there something? Have you paused to consider that God may be in the midst of it? Maybe if you're willing to adjust, you might see more clearly what he's doing. Often in these moments, it requires trust. It requires us to reach for something and say, maybe God, I need to, I'm the one that needs to adjust here. Maybe this uncomfortable thing that I'm feeling in life is not just a bad thing that's, or an inconvenient thing, but maybe he's deliberately just kind of nudging you or prodding you. And as you shift to look and ask the question, God, what are you doing? Maybe you'll see more clearly of what he has for you. It does require more trust, but it's the place of growth and it's the place where we experience him when we do that. Just returning for a moment to briefly see something, I want us to notice in chapter 11, um, there's this pattern that develops, if you noticed it as you read it, which really reveals a godly maturity in this early church, in this Antioch church. And um, it's, it's, uh, if you follow it through in the verses, it goes chronologically. So in verses 19 to 21 of chapter 11, you see that there, there, there's this evangelism that just immediately breaks out. There's this sharing, young believers sharing the good news of what they've discovered. But then you notice that it says that a great number of people responded. So suddenly they find themselves, they've shared the good news, and then like, oh, we've got a bunch of people. Uh, what do we do? So um, they have Barnabas come. They receive Barnabas, he comes in and he does teaching and encouragement and he consolidates what's been happening with this um, young group of believers. So suddenly it's not just a gathering of a lot of people, but there's this bringing together, there's this teaching and encouragement that happens from Barnabas, who's a mature leader. But do you notice that almost immediately what happens is that there is growth that comes again. So as Barnabas is doing this, it says in verses uh, uh, 24 and 25, um, that there is this, uh, sorry, verses 24, that there is more people that are added into the community. So there's this flow of evangelism, teaching and encouragement, and then more evangelism breaks out. <laughs> I love sometimes how British scripture can be. I love the understated nature of what happens when uh, Barnabas is like, after this second wave of people coming in, he's like, uh, I'm gonna go find Saul, because there's a lot of people here right now. And so he trots off to Tarsus. I don't know how long this all takes, but he goes off and finds Saul and brings him back. I can just imagine, it's a bit like, can you imagine a thousand people walking in here as new believers? And we're like, uh, what are we gonna do, like guys? How are we gonna handle this? And so I can just picture it, it being a little bit like that for them. So he goes and, you know, if this, at this point, the Apostle Paul is still being referred to as Saul, so this is who this is. And he goes to find him, and they come back, and basically they take a whole year where they gather the church, and they teach and encourage and equip them. So there is this recognition of the importance of, we're not just wanting to invite people into a space where they can know that Jesus is real, the, the goal of this is not just about people um, experiencing the revelation of who Jesus is, although that is very important. What's even more important here is that there is this sense of they are being built into something. 
that there is community, that there is a family happening, that there is this place where people are being trained and taught and equipped because there's purpose for their lives. You know, it's interesting to note that the, um, as that is all happening, that actually what, what then follows is it draws prophetic activity. So then it tells us later on, as we get down into the, the latter stages of, if we put up chapter 11, Haskell up there, the latter verses of that, um, the faithful response to the gospel draws prophetic activity from outside their region. So there's a group of prophets that come and there's prophetic ministry taking place and right in the middle of this kind of bubbling, vibrant community, one of the prophets, Agabus, stands up and he declares and and predicts that there's gonna be a famine right across the Roman Empire. What's really interesting for me to note in this is that there is something about the progression of evangelism, teaching, equipping, that draws prophetic activity but then, actually, it launches this new church into translocal ministry. In other words, what God is doing here with this group of people, he's saying, you have done something really well here. I'm now going to trust you with other people. I'm now going to create you. I'm now going to release you to be a resource to other places. There's an invitation. There's something that God has sown into this community in a short period of time, which now means that they're being invited into a place where they can respond to a need of the believers in Judea. Maturity is often measured by how much God gives you to manage on his behalf. Giving to those in need is for the mature. When God presents opportunities for us to meet needs, he's inviting us into a place of privilege to join him, to be like him. You know, in the Old Testament, it refers to one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh, which means provider, the Lord who provides. It's a name of him. It says something about him. And so there's this, therefore, there's this form of worship that uh, they are expressing, and it's sacrificial. You know, where they are, they're still part of the Roman Empire, so they potentially are just as impacted by this famine as anybody else. But yet in that place, they choose to respond to the prophetic word Agabus gives and choose to give instead of just conserving and protecting themselves. It's almost like God gives them the prophetic word and then just watches to see how will they respond. There's a need that's emerging. What's going to rise up in them? They could have said, well, we've got this great evangelism outreach going on here. You know, we, are, we haven't really got time or resources to give to this famine thing in Judea. They're going to have to figure that one out. No, what comes out of them actually is a love and a concern for the community, their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They chose a supernatural response and gave. God trusted this church community and he recognized that they were ready for it. When I read stuff like that, something in me is like, I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be part of a church that, uh, that learns how to give generously. And we're in a position where we are saying we want to resource other people so they can minister. I want to be part of a church where we boldly share about our faith, where we know that when we open our mouths, Jesus is doing something whether we can see it or not. I want to, I want to learn how to communicate that what Jesus has done in my life is extraordinary. Do you feel that? Do you remember that? What Jesus has done in your life, regardless of how long you've known him, it's extraordinary. You're going to live for eternity in the presence of the king. 
where there's no more sickness, there's no more suffering, there's peace, there's joy that you can't even imagine. I mean, that's just one thing. That's extraordinary. Sometimes it's being around people who don't know that that awakens you to the reality that it is extraordinary. I was enjoying reading a couple of the, on our bulletin we have these things called share your story and a few people have been recently filling in and sharing stories of where they've seen God answer prayer or God doing things. I just wanna say thank you for those of you who've done that. And I was reading one this week and uh, a lady was describing how she'd had an experience where um, she was in the grocery store and uh, felt prompted. God was kind of nudging her and giving her some things to say to encourage her and the lady. They just get into a conversation and the lady says, I'm a Mormon and they get talking and she invites her to church and she's just kind of doing her groceries and this lady's got kids and she's just doing the stuff and suddenly God is kind of opening up conversations. I was talking with uh, another couple recently who they run a gym and uh, they, we were talking about the Alpha course that's coming um, up in September and we're launching Alpha again and they're talking about how there's a group of people at the gym that they run where they want to bring them along to Alpha. You should invite someone to Alpha, by the way. It starts September 4th. And uh, if you're a teenager, if you're a middle school or high school, September 4th and September 8th are when the Youth Alpha launches. We've got three Alphas launching this fall, by the way. It's kind of exciting. So, by the way, just on the, I'm totally taking advantage of this moment, but it's relevant, so I'm assuming there's some license to do it. We, we have, we're hosting, uh, in 10 days' time, uh, the national director for Alpha USA in the fellowship hall with about 100 people, and we've got 15 churches from across the OKC metro who are coming to bring their Alpha teams to be trained, and they're looking to launch Alpha across our city um, pretty much at the same time in September. So it's, God is doing something with Alpha um, and I just want to encourage you, it's, it's, it's never about the one thing, but when you see God doing something and breathing on it, I think it's wise to say, we should probably jump into that and honor what God is doing there. So I want to encourage you, pray for Alpha. Think about who you could invite to the launch evening on September 4th. Okay, there you go. Otherwise, I want to say this. When you look at the, the, the community, you look at the church in Antioch, um, it made me think about how I want to be part of a community where we learn together, growing in our understanding of the scriptures, what they teach, and where the Holy Spirit has free reign to transform us and bring us into maturity. And these are just some of the things that we can see in the Church of Antioch because they had discovered a beauty and a simplicity to the gospel. Share what you've got with those who don't. Go deeper with God, and he will trust you with more people. Good friend of mine once said to me um, in the city, he lives in the city here, he said, I don't understand why we haven't seen God do more yet. And I think part of the answer lies in the simple equation. Give away what you have and God will add more. So maybe the question for us this morning is, what has God given you to give away? Are you doing it? In a season when we've been hearing some prophetic words about God bringing people to us as a church here, and we've been um, sensing that God wants to move in powerful ways with his, his presence amongst us, it's a time for us to ready ourselves and decide, how will I give away? You know, at the end of the day, people are our crowns. 
there's an image uh, in Revelation that talks about how the elders who are gathered around the throne um, have, they have crowns that Jesus has given them, a crown of recognition of what their lives have um, been about and about the way that Jesus has rewarded them for the way they've lived. And it describes this picture of um, Jesus being seen and they just throw their crowns down because they're like, this is nothing. This is, I've got this crown, but Jesus, you're, you're better than anything, any crown. But, but I think that actually when we get to heaven, it'll be the people in our lives that are somehow represented in the crowns that we wear. Okay. Moving into Acts 13 and just looking at, there's a couple of observations I want to make here as we come in to finish up our time. Acts 13, um, the second part, um, 13, 1b, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So in, even in this short verse, I want us to see something that's really significant. We can see two powerful qualities um, in the church at Antioch. The first is that there's the presence of honor in their culture and the complementary nature of gifts operate, operating together. But quickly, let's understand who is this group of people so we can get a feel for it. So Luke, who's the, again, he's the author, he's writing here. He's, he's identifying specific people with names. And so he's placing them in history as verifiable people. It's also, it's a diverse group of people. So Menaean, who, um, who is described as a, either as a close friend or someone who grew up in the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, um, that, that Greek word there is uh, syntrophos, which is, it could mean either he just grew up in the court of or he was a close friend of. Um, and he, <laughs> there's about three Herods here. So just, if you ever read, you ever read the New Testament, the Gospels, and actually you're like, now which Herod is this? Like, there's like, didn't he die? Wait a minute, well, how is Herod here? Anyway, there's about three Herods in this, in this section of Acts here. So just to clarify, Herod the Tetrarch is also referred to Anti Antipas, and he's mentioned several times in the Gospels. Herod was the son of Herod the Great and uncle to Herod Agrippa I, mentioned in chapter 12. So now you're really clear about all those Herods, aren't you? Uh, not really, but anyway, there you go, Herod. He's in the mix. But he grew up in the court of Herod. Uh, then you've got Niger. It's a Latin word. Uh, in Latin, it means black, and therefore he's likely from Africa, as was Lucius of Cyrene. And Cyrene was also... Uh, the name of the capital city of Cyrene, which is a Roman province in Libya in northern Africa. So here we see honor at work through diversity in culture. Leaders working together from different backgrounds and honoring one another um, to equip uh, the local church. And it's a fulfillment, it's a, it's, a, it's a realization of what Joel prophesied about in Joel 2:28, when he said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. But this is not just a group that's diverse in terms of culture, it's also a group that's diverse in gifting. Remarkably, this church has established a vibrant community where gifting functioned effectively together. Now here is a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work. Prophets and teachers working together in one place. 
If you know your church history, you'll realize that that wasn't always, that's not been a common pattern for the church. Teachers and prophets often have sadly not been able to um, complement and work together in the same place very often. But here you see it clearly. You see them working together, combining their giftings for the benefit of equipping this church. You know, uh, I want to make a quick comment about that, um, prophets and teachers working together. Maybe you're, more, uh, well, you're better read than I am, and so you may have more examples, but as I look through my, the church history that I've read, I don't see many examples of them working together. And sadly, too often the story that I've heard has been that prophets have not been willing to harness themselves to gifted teachers and allow them to shore up that revelatory gift with sound doctrine. Instead, they've gone solo and relied upon their prophetic gift to lead their ministry. Similarly, in the established church, um, teachers have not known how to come alongside prophetic people. They've misunderstood the person and their gifting, and the fear of the unknown has often squashed the prophetic gift in the local church. Compounding the issue and encouraging itinerant ministries to spring up outside of the covering of the local church. And I don't think it's meant to be that way. Interestingly, Chris Vallotton, who's a prophetic voice in the church today, he, through his experience, describes how he has seen many people not in the church who have this revelatory gifting because they haven't found a place where they felt like they've been able to be received and often have found themselves outside of the church in New Age religions or witchcraft and other places because they recognize that there's something inside of them that's a gifting from God, but it gets misused and misappropriated because they don't know how to receive them in the church. So this in example in Antioch is a powerful picture of what can happen when people allow their gifting to be harnessed together for the kingdom of God. The, uh, I think there's a, there's a lesson here for us about setting aside egos and preferences if the church is to become mature and fulfill her potential. Learning how to prefer one another and promote each other's gifting creates a foundation of honor and honor is the atmosphere of heaven. So if you think about this, in Ephesians 1, 2 to, uh, uh, I think that should be 2 to 3. Maybe I wrote, that's a typo. Did I write? Yeah, I wrote 2 to 23. That's not exactly right. That's a typo. <laughs> anyway, Ephesians 1, somewhere in that section of Scripture, <laughs> the Father exalts the Son. And uh, there's a description of that. And then in John 5, 19, the Son obeys the Father. And then Ephesians 1.13, the Spirit is the fulfillment of the work of the Son. So you see this reciprocal honoring that's happening within the Trinity. An atmosphere of honor is where God's presence flows most powerfully. Danny Silk describes it like this as he's referencing Matthew 20, 25 to 26. He says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. If you go to the next one. Um, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. If those with power learn how to empower those around them, then surely it will come to pass. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom culture and expansion is established when the church learns how to defer to one another when we learn how to promote and call out the best in one another and make space for each other's gifting. 
You know, here at Our Lords, we kind of adopted this tagline um, of everyone gets to play. And what we mean by that is that we recognize that each person here has a significant and valuable gifting to bring. We're passionate about seeing everybody here, you guys, discovering what's in you and it coming out for the benefit of others, for the expansion of the kingdom of God. We want to see you equipped. We want to see you empowered to operate in your gifting. And we're determined to let Christ be formed in us. We want him to form in us so that we might reach maturity and fulfill the mission he's given us. We've got this up on a slide here. This is some language that we have, as leaders recently, have started to talk about. And if you're around when we did the series in April, you'll be familiar with some of this. But this is what, this is, I want to highlight particularly the the second formation and, and third mission. And just take in the language for a moment. So we're talking about wanting to be a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And part of that is that we recognize that God has invited us into a relationship with him to pursue a friendship with God and to be formed in Christ. And it happens through us practicing things that intentionally put us in places where we can grow and become like him through spiritual practices. And that it's not just about the sake of us becoming mature and nice people to get along with here, but actually it's about recognizing that God has called us to do something. He's given us a place in his mission for us to join him and come alongside him. And we want to be equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be on mission with Jesus wherever we go. I believe God has called us to be an Antioch-type church where people encounter God, lives are transformed, and we operate in our gifting as we live on mission with Jesus. We want to emulate what the church did in Antioch, uh, what it modeled to us. But you know, it's one thing to know your gifting. It's another thing to operate in it fully. Perhaps you've done one of those surveys where you saw 931 questions and by the end of it, you're like, it tells you everything that you wanted to know about your life and even stuff maybe you didn't care to be told as well. And uh, those things are great. Um, But I want to ask, what are we doing? What are you doing with the gifting that God has given you? Turn to the person next to you and say, how are you using, how's it going with using your gifts? See, these guys, they went for it. They were hungry to learn the scriptures then to grow in hearing God's voice so they could be effective in mission. What does it look like for us? How do we become the kind of church, the kind of people that means that our Lord looks something like and begins to function like the church in Antioch? Well, there's three things as we finish I just want to mention. The first is respond to what God has already said. For the church, the core group of people, the leaders who were in Jerusalem, when they were dispersed across this region, they had witnessed the birth of the church in Jerusalem. So they knew what God had said to do. They knew what their mandate was. Preach the good news, heal the sick, build a community, go to the nations. Our Lord has received prophetic words um, that we're already starting to see fulfilled. We've received words about um, being a place that equips and sends, that houses training schools. Back in 2016, we had a leaders retreat and uh, we were gathered here in the building and we had a group come in and they uh, brought a lot of encouragement to us through prophetic words. And one of the words that was given, I want to read it to you, um, is from a guy called Kelly Arndt and he's a friend of ours. And uh, he at the time didn't know the church well, but this is what he said. 
I don't know if you guys even do anything like this, but I saw a training school coming out of this church. The word I kept hearing was transformation. I felt like there was something that God was wanting to birth in this church that goes deeply into the heart of people and deeply into the community outside of you. That there's going to be a training school where you take leaders and you take people who are hungry to step out in love and step out in ministry to the world around them. You're going to have a training environment where it's almost like a laboratory that you get to discover that together, that you get to step out in that together. And I felt like the Lord was saying that, you're, that as you're transforming inside, the community around you will be transformed. And then he goes on to speak about, interestingly, this was three years before we had the Commission the City and we heard about Love Feast. You remember I referenced that earlier. So he said this, he said, um, I don't know if this piece is related or not, but I kept hearing the phrase love feasts and I felt like there was an invitation for this body to reach out. I kept seeing people from all walks of life coming to the table. This church has such a gift of hospitality and such a gift to serve and to meet the needs of the people around you. And as I was reflecting on that, I was realizing God is already starting to do this with us. This year, this last academic year, we, we had the privilege of Brock and Connie launched our All Saints and that's, that is a seminary-level training um, in a local church. We, we, I mentioned about the love feast happening out of um, the YWAM um, conference that we had commissioned in the city, but also I was thinking Alpha in, in, in itself is essentially a love feast by a different name. We're inviting people to come and have food. We're inviting people into a conversation where they can hear and meet God. God has been doing this with us. And maybe today he's inviting you into something new. Maybe it's a time where you're preparing for what's next. I'd encourage you as, you as we move into the fall, think about where you're going to plug in. Think about where your gifting could be expressed, where you might serve in a team or join a group or learn about how you could lead a group in the future. Even giving. Think about places where you want, where you, God is God calling you to be generous with your giving, finding places to resource other people. Secondly, I want to encourage you to pursue a life of friendship with God. Pursue um, what it means um, for us to be a people who respond to the invitation that Jesus gives us in John 15, um, 14 to 15. Jesus said this to the disciples. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. It's in the context of following Jesus that we discover a friendship with God. We're invited into a close relationship with him. It's almost like he's saying, if you will come and follow me, I will whisper the things of the kingdom to you. Jesus thinks of us like that. He thinks of you and I. He wants to talk to you like a friend. He wants to reveal things to you about the life in the kingdom of what it means to walk with him. So as you think about, as you take time, I encourage you, take time to get alone with Jesus regularly. When you open up the Bible, look at it and ask the Holy Spirit, speak to me. Write down what you sense him saying. Pray it back to God. I, something simple I do in prayer is I, I often use the format of the Lord's Prayer. And so it's not like a, a rote thing per se where I'm just reading the lines of the Lord's Prayer, but I it's almost like a framework for me. So I, sometimes I don't even get past our Father and then that's, I'm there for about 30 minutes. And then, but sometimes I, I just find it, it's like the, it's just a rhythm with Jesus where he says, this is how to pray. 
Remember, start. He's your father. He loves you. He comes first in life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Reminding myself, life flows well when I orientate myself with the kingdom of God that's been established on earth. It doesn't work well when I try to get the kingdom down here and I'm like, so this is my list, Jesus, and oh yeah, and let's see your kingdom come. Hopefully that'll fit with my plan. No, he, he, he asks us to orientate and trust us, him with our lives and the, with his kingdom first. And so, just some thoughts. Lastly, be a local church who love to worship and create space for the presence of God to move and speak. You know, it's in the context of worshiping and fasting that mission is activated in the church in Antioch. This is a group of believers. They gather together. They clearly like each other if they're worshiping and fasting together. That's, uh, you don't do that very well if you don't like each other. So they're clearly getting on. There's something they, they, they're rich that they're experiencing. And it's in that place where God begins to say, okay, this is good, but I'm speaking now. We did that this morning. We didn't plan that thing that Becky came up and did. That's a, that was just a, I think Jesus might be nudging us to do this. So we're going to create space. You know, as we finish, I'm going to ask Brad and the, the band to come back. And I'd like us to worship together. Because I think that God wants to speak to us. And I think he's got some things that he wants to say individually to some of you guys. I was at a conference last week um, in Denver. And it was a rich time, it was really good. And um, there was, it was just really sweet to have moments of being in worship where I, just to be candid, I wasn't thinking about my responsibilities here, so I was just enjoying worshiping with many other people. And um, one of the mornings, I wasn't feeling particularly excited, they were encouraging people to be celebratory in their worship. And, but I went down, because I felt like, oh, I'm just gonna go down the front and worship, and so I did. And um, as I began to worship, uh, the Lord just broke in. And I just, I, I lost the plot. I just fell on, the, on my knees and just wept for 20 minutes. And uh, it, was, it was powerful, but it was, and it was, it was like what God was putting in me was like this compassion, something of his heart for people. So it was like I was feeling and thinking about what God's doing here. And I was thinking about what he wants to do in the nations and I was feeling something of his heart and it, and it broke my heart. So I was like weeping. I wasn't like having a great time. Woo, this is amazing. I was like, ah, oh, this is really like something is, but it was like, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was the highlight of my week. I was like, there's incredible peace and incredible connection of feeling like what a privilege it is to connect with God's heart. And it's often in those places of worship where we meet him like that. Not just a Sunday, whether it's a small group or even on your own. There's those places of worship where God will break in and do something that you can't even imagine what he's gonna do. So I wanna do this. I'm just gonna kind of land it here. I was going to talk about mission being launched, but I feel like I'm just going to stay in this place of worship. Would you guys stand with me? Is that all right?